Hello, my beautiful beanies, and welcome to the Bean for Tuesday. First with yesterday's news, I am Glenn ZB. We're looking back at Monday. Um, have we sorted out the um, gang situation yet? I'm sure it's only a matter of time. Uh, the firefighters uh, are basically working at minimum wage. That doesn't sound right, does it? And more Harbour Bridge blues. Uh, Marcus is going to have a look at the Harbour Bridge from the other end of the country. But before any of that, ah, yes, the big reshuffle. It was, I think it was supposed to be a little shuffle, and it's turned into a, uh, throw all the cards on the ground and pick up 52. Paul Tool was doing a terrible job, and she's only been in in a few months. Shocker. Shocker of a police minister. She was considered soft on crime, and she started showing signs of doing a bit of a clear current and falling apart in the house. So that one needed to end very quickly, especially with what we've got going on in, in, with the gangs and the ram raiding and whatnot. Chris Farfoy was dropping the ball in all of his portfolios. He couldn't even explain his, ho- his own hate crime laws. He ballsed up the immigration reset by putting obstacles in the way of the nurses who wanted to come here. And no one can explain why he needed to merge RNZ and TVNZ. What is the problem he's trying to fix? I'm not even sure that he knows. Trevor is a disgrace. His departure is long overdue, calling an innocent man a rapist and then forking out goodness knows how much money in taxpayer dollars to fix that problem, allowing the trespassing of a former Deputy Prime Minister from the grounds of Parliament, um, making the protest worse by setting off the sprinklers and playing Barry Manilow. No one's going to miss him possibly with the exception of the Prime Minister who he protected in the House. Anyone, literally anyone, could do the Speaker's job better than Trevor Mallard can. Now, what you've seen here is a really brutal reset. I mean, this is getting Labour ready for election 2023, and these three were all undoubtedly reducing Labour's chances of winning again. Now, I don't think it's a surprise to anyone that these three people have been given the cut. Uh, But it turns out uh, not everybody is happy because uh, some people think more people should have been given the cut. But unfortunately, when you're playing Pick Up 52, you've only got the selection of the 52 cards, haven't you? What did you make of it? Yes, unfortunately, it, it clearly shows a failure by Labour and this has been buckling under the pressure of the opposition. My, my honest reaction is that it hasn't gone far enough. They need a major reshuffle. Uh, the one name that sticks for me personally is Calvin Davis. He hasn't been in Parliament in the entire time they've been there, and yet somehow he manages to retain his portfolios. It makes no sense. I couldn't even tell you what Kelvin's uh, portfolios are. What are they? <laughs> Corrections. Oh, yes. He's the associ- yeah, uh, Minister for Maori Crown Relations, uh, Children, Te Arafiti, or is the other with the Maori Crown Relations, uh, Children and Corrections, an Associate Minister of Education. And Deputy Leader yes. of the Party, by the way, we should... Um, well, I've always got to remind myself, I always assume it's Grant Robertson. Well, exactly. So he's sitting there with a few, a few portfolios that are supposed to be apparently important to Labour. Mm. He's done none of them, and like you say, he's deputy leader. How, how, no do, you, knows who he is. how do you mean he's done none of them or is doing nothing? What, what are you basing that on? Basing on the fact that he's missing in action. With all of his portfolios, with corrections, which is one that I deal in, he he's never anywhere to be seen. He never responds, and no one can get an answer out of him, out of him directly on any of those portfolios that he's working on. And, and so, what do you do in corrections? I'm the president of the Corrections Association nationally. Okay, and so so when you're trying to deal with him, what sort of stuff are you trying to get from him that you're not getting? 
So we've we've been trying to work with the department and him for the last 12 months on a violence reduction plan. And we haven't been able to get any communication. In the time that he's been the minister, we've met with him once. Unfortunately, other than that, we can't get any response from him. Oh, dear. Um, tricky, isn't it? Uh, do you want a minister to, to be out there and be seen to be doing a terrible job, or would you rather have one that you don't really even know what job it is that they're doing because you never ever hear from them? Those are the only two choices? Like those are the only two choices. We go back to trying to fix the gang problem. The policy's not new. It's proposed every time a political party wants to be perceived as tough, tough on crime, and that's what National wants. And it has been discredited every time it's been proposed. And in fact, it's even been tried before, and we all know this, Whanganui. Now, Michael Laws uh, argues it was a, su- a success. And, and yes, it was. For a bit, it kept gang patches out of the city centre for a while, but it didn't decrease gang crime. And embarrassingly for National, Chester Burroughs from National, who was part of National at the time and argued for its use and brought in laws, stated in the Sunday paper yesterday that the policy never really worked. And he is a former court minister and a former cop and the former MP for Whanganui, and he passed the prohibition of gang insignia into law 13 years ago. National's now calling for a similar law to be introduced nationwide. Well, Chester comes out and says it would be ineffectual and it's purely designed for big headlines. Uh, This is not the answer National makes it out to be. And even more confusingly for me, it saw National Party members who have been critical of moves to regulate freedom of speech leaping in behind uh, a law that curtails freedom of speech and adds in a rule against freedom of association. It is very questionable whether the proposed law would ever make it through our Bill of Rights. So, look, it was a piece of dog whistle politics that would achieve nothing except convince maybe some shallow thinkers that National is tough on crime. Good luck. Can I just get somebody to paint over the graffiti on the street? I just want to... I'm going to have to go out and buy some paint myself, aren't I? And then I'll probably get arrested for painting something that doesn't belong to me. What to do? Can you call the fire department? That's, no, that's cats out of trees, isn't it? Not, not graffiti removal. They've got high-pressure hoses, though, haven't they? The fire service is a necessity. It's not a nice to have. We, our firefighters go out and deal, obviously, with fires. They deal with accidents. They're cleaning up after accidents. They're dealing with natural disasters. They're assisting St. John's. They're a necessity, not a nice to have. So it is time for the government to step up. At least look after the firefighters that we have. We can't afford to lose any more. And then work out how they're going to attract more firefighters into the sector. I'm keen to hear from you if you're a firefighter. What is the reality of what you're dealing with? Will you be actually able to afford to stay in this career? What would you like to see happen? And as a New Zealander, do you think it's time the government stood up and started committing a little bit more to the firefighters? I don't understand how you can live on $46,000 a year when you're a trainee. So is it time for the government to stand up, contribute some more? We saw the police get a good boost in the budget recently. And you have to wonder, 
Is that because gang violence and crime and law and order seems to hit the front pages? It's something we're all very aware of and very conscious of and want to see something happen, obviously. So was the, was the government going, OK, right, well, this has got the public racked up. We'll keep them happy here. I feel like the firefighters are in quite a strong position. Um, because, you know, if they don't come around, your house will burn down. It is a bit like the gang problem in a way. It's almost a protection racket. Sort of. Not really. But trying to make a connection, but it's not really working. So let's just talk about what happened with the Harbour Ridge yesterday. Uh, did you get across it when you wanted to, or did you have to go around the long way only to discover that it had been open in the meantime? Uh, Marcus, the Harbour Bridge has seen its best days. It's not fit for purpose as an exit waiting to happen. Hence, they know this and close it cheaper than building another one. Barry. Well, we need to have the discussion because I thought probably there was a plan. I didn't realise they were going to close it so often. Five times today, that's a disaster. In fact, probably, if you are in Auckland, you need to be talking to your mayoral candidates to work out what their plan is for this. Although I say it's Wakakatahi, it's a state road. But it's important for Auckland this gets resolved. And I don't want to sound like a typical talkback host, but... Believe you me, it's not an easy fix because I cannot imagine you could fix this bridge. I, I, I can't work it out because you'd need to build an entirely new bridge. But you'd need to build an entirely new bridge using the existing roads. So it's impossible because you've got that damn, what's that stupid tunnel called? Waterview, what's that tunnel called that's going into the Harbour Bridge? The Vicky Park Tunnel? All those things are geared towards the Harbour Bridge has been where it's at. So how do you build a bridge? How do you replace that bridge and keep it going? It's impossible, isn't it? I think we've got ourselves a real problem here. I'm getting becoming a bit of a catastrophizer on this. So yes, the Auckland Harbour Bridge, the car-strangled spanner. I don't think it's weird that suddenly, like we had that one truck that fell over into the bridge and nearly made it fall into the ocean that one time, and ever since then they're all sort of angsty about it. They just need to relax a bit and accept the risk that sometimes bridges are go- uh, trucks are going to crash into bridges. I mean, for all we know, the guy driving that truck... Um, I'm just trying to think how you drive a truck on a harbour bridge to make it tip over without the... W- probably wasn't deliberate, but... It was a one-off. Like, it's never happened before. Why did... Oh, no. You've got to close it every five minutes, don't you? Oh, people are just so overcautious about Harbour Bridges these days. I'm Glenn ZB. That has been News Talk ZB. I'll see you back here again tomorrow if I can get across the bridge.